Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy C. Jones, and welcome to another Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and we talk with leaders of all ages and stages about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am very excited because my guest is the tremendous Paget Ree. Paget, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. When we reconnected again, I was like, your energy is just infectious and I, I need that. So it's awesome. Thank you, Padgett. We'll right back at you. And I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Right now, Padgett is currently the owner of six Be Balance Centers, and she is passionate about inspiring women to live their best life at any age through understanding hormone balance and how it affects our physical and mental health. Amen, sister. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. We all need that support. Oh, we do. Padgett and I, she mentioned that we have been, she's a South Central person just like me. And we recently connected at a women's conference where, of course, she was there representing what she's doing. And it was like, oh my gosh. So we caught up after all these years of being entrepreneurs and working to do in our calling. And I thought I have to get her after hearing all the tremendous things she's doing, get her on this podcast. Paget, let's get right into it because I know you can <laughs> unpack a lot of what you're doing and what your journey has been. My father wrote a speech called The Price of Leadership decades ago, yeah. and boy, leadership is just always such a hot topic. But in it, he talks about the four prices you're going to have to pay if you are really going to be a truly authentic leader and not just a leader in title only. And the mm -hmm. first thing he talked about, Paget, was loneliness. And we've all mm -hmm. heard that. It's lonely at the top. So can you unpack for our listeners what loneliness has meant for you throughout your very career and maybe some advice you might give to our listeners if they're in a season of loneliness? Yeah, that is so interesting that he identified that so many years ago. And it's I think everybody sometimes exalts like, oh, it must be so great to be in charge or be the leader and you get all the recognition, but you also get a lot of other things. And you're right. You have to be so intentional about surrounding yourself with people that can support you when you need, but you also have to become very comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's really important because it is sometimes really lonely at the top, if you will. And I hate to use that, but I've been in leadership as I've been looking back and some things I'm dealing with currently in my current situation. I think, oh my gosh, I guess I have learned a few things or maybe I have fortified my spirit with some things that that get me through these challenges. But when I was much younger, it was really hard. I founded a nonprofit in DC when I was much younger in 1994. And I didn't expect that loneliness. I just was so excited. I was so passionate. I was just ready to attack the world. And it did hit me because I was alone. Nobody had the vision that I had. Nobody really had caught the vision that I had. And even my husband didn't really know what to do with me because he just was not at that same place. And I was really starting to explore my entrepreneurial leadership spirit that had just grown through college and different opportunities that came to me. In fact, when I was a child, my, my teachers used to say, I hope she'll be good at something. So it wasn't that I always had this energy or confidence. And it really came and these opportunities presented themselves. And 
In fact, one of the things that became really apparent of loneliness, and I'll, I'll share this, was back in about 1992, I went to work for the D.C. Department of Recreation. I was given an opportunity to run all of the recreational day camps throughout the city. Now, I don't know if you would understand, this is a very dangerous neighborhood. I was young white female from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I was the only Caucasian person on staff, if I could. And I was put in a very difficult situation being younger than most of the people who worked for me. And I learned so much about leadership and humility and building a team, but also standing by the principles that I stood for. And a lot of the people that worked under me were shocked by my expectations of them, which had not been the case in previous years. And by the time we got through all of the time, we could celebrate together because they felt like they had accomplished something, even though it wasn't how they had envisioned the leader of this organization being. They didn't envision a young white female coming in and trying to be in charge. But I thought that we all came out with a common goal. And at the end of this time period, we threw a huge community celebration throughout the city that recognized all of their hard work, which hadn't been done previously. And I just remember this sense of changing from me and them to, hey, we're together. And for me, that was a life-changing moment where I felt like, you know what? We can do this. We can do hard things and we can bring different people together and accomplish things together. So I felt really lonely in those times. I was in neighborhoods I didn't recognize. I was pulled over by the police multiple times for being in that neighborhood because they thought I was buying drugs there and I had to keep telling them, this is my office, I work here. That was probably the start of one of the loneliest periods of time. But And there have been many others, but it is tough. And you have to know your passion and you have to find people who know your why and can remind you of that why when it gets to that tough time. I love that you said you had caught it, the vision, but not everybody to include your spouse or your followers <laughs> caught it yet. And that's such an important point for our listeners out there. It takes time. You may be lonely right now and everybody has to go through a season of loneliness, but if it lasts too long, then there might be some kind of a culture disconnect. But understand like you did, I think you knew it just takes time for them to realize she is one of us. I can process where she's coming from because they don't know us. We don't know them. And so it is lonely. It's like making friends. Oh, I don't have any friends. Oh, now I have friends because you got to know each other. So I love that you said that. Did you in the back of your mind, although you were young, did you kind of think that eventually it would get to that? Because that's pretty evolved thinking as a young leader. I did as I as you're helping me unpack some of this. So I think all of that idea that this could work happened in my household, but my parents had adopted eight children. We had over 50 some foster kids in and out of my house. So I always saw myself as a, not a leader of them, but I was wanting to expose them to new ideas that would give them the hope that they could do things differently in their lives, maybe than what they had experienced. So then my parents adopted eight Vietnamese brothers and sisters. And so my family was always very mixed in cultures and in just circumstances. We didn't have a lot of money. It was like a lot of, but the things that I took from that always helped me think that Bringing people together is going to look strange at the beginning, but going to be wonderful in the end. So I think when I got into that situation in D.C., I, I just knew this was going to work out. And I knew they were going to love me once we figured it out. Maybe that was naive, but it's not everybody. Loved. They respected. It used to be like on rainy days, everybody would go home. On rainy days, we're all going to the offices to organize and to prepare and plan and work together. It wasn't just everybody's going home. So it was a very different change in work culture as well for them. But by the time they got done with it, they saw me there with them and they saw me doing the same things with them. And I do feel like it changed their perspectives. But I, you said something that's really important. I do agree that as leaders, we have to be prepared to allow people time to catch the vision. But I also think we need to be prepared. And it's such a fine balance to say, when maybe our vision isn't right. When, and how do we judge that? And there have been times where I've had to abort mission, where I was like, okay, I, I thought this was a path, but I had to be less emotional and more logical. And I'm probably more emotional, as you can see, as I get into this. But I think that what you said is really wise, though. Sometimes there's such a fine line. Where do you go? Okay, you know what? This path might not have been the right call, and maybe I need to adjust it. So it's- Absolutely. It's a I I've done it too. 
I just, I think people think well, if I'm a leader, you're going to see the followers are 80% of the equation. Okay. So if you get to a point where you realize I am not a good fit and that's very evolved of the leader to say, I need to go someplace else because, but we come into these places and I've had that happen. Don't think you failed as a leader because fit it's a dance. And if certain people are dancing to a different tune, you need to go, or they just like we expect them to leave. If it's not a good fit, we as leaders, if there's not a value congruence or something like that, we need to go too. And that's why I tell people just, there's this old, the door's closed, just kick it. Yeah, I get it. But you can only kick so far before you're going to break your legs off. And it's not, some doors are all, you're meant to just knock on and get the experience and then go to another door. But yeah. you talking about that foster care, no wonder you have such a resilience as far as finding a common ground, finding a way to identify and that's how tr what true leadership is, because unless they can identify with you, there's not going to be any communication. And you with that, how? Oh, my Lord. I almost yeah. started crying. That's unbelievable yeah. that you got exposed to that. And I adopted my middle daughter from foster care, which is a whole nother. That's a story for later. But something you were talking about, like not kicking a door down. I tell you what, I had one of my best and worst experiences in D.C. after I left working for the Department of Recreation, I stepped down from that position and DC cut down 80% of its recreation budgets way back in the early 2000s, which created a major loss in the communities that we worked in, which were incredibly challenged communities. So now there were no longer recreation centers for kids to go to. There were no longer services for after school. I was just really passionate about finding ways to continue to provide those opportunities. So first I started volunteering at a homeless shelter and we created a teen program for teen homelessness. And I worked with a young prostitute program in DC and I've spent all night in jail with young prostitutes. And those are like some of my best powerful memories of those opportunities. But I went to a church, my husband and I got married and we went to this church and, and my husband and I were taking turns choosing what church we would go to and try them out as we were trying to find where we would fit. So it was my husband's week to choose and he's, here's one that says Lindbergh Falk. And I've never gone to a church with a woman pastor. I mean, this is back in 1994. And so I'm like, okay, we'll try it. So we went to the church and it was a small Southern American Baptist aligned church in the middle of Washington, DC, put right between exactly between the White House and the Capitol on 8th Street. And 8th Street at that point in time in 94 was very dangerous. They were just lots of homelessness, lots of drugs. It wasn't like it is now. Now it's like Disneyland. It was not like that then. And we went to the church and afterwards, the pastor invited us to lunch. Okay. So my husband and I went with him, walked across the street to a little Chinese restaurant because it's right in Chinatown. And I told him my vision, like my heart is to start a program for kids and I'll get emotional talking about it because I have this vision and I wanted to start a program that involved recreation, spiritual development, education for kids in the community because of the loss of these recreational programs that I knew were, were out there. And he said to me, do you see this whole building? At that time, we had a whole block long building, four stories high. He said, at one point in time, this building was a youth center in the 60s but we've lost funding. We don't really have anyone to run it and there's nothing going on. And as I walked through this building, it was dilapidated. It had a full commercial kitchen, a whole dining room to see 200 people, lots of things going on there. And he said, you know what? This is after a few conversations, but literally he said, we'll give you that space, $5,000 seed money and you see what you could do. And I took it. And my office to start was a little broom closet and I literally had a desk and a phone. We didn't have computers at that point in time. And I just remember just doing whatever I could, could. And we grew that program, raising all of our own funds. We built out a whole program called Urban Hands, which hosted mission teams from all over the country. It's another story to help them work in the city. So I was able to grow 15 sites across the city using the hands from mission teams. Anyways, it grew very large. And during that time, I was in an old historic church who valued more that all of the chairs were lined up on Sunday morning for their Sunday school classes of six people rather than the 120 kids that I had there for a Christian concert the night before. And it became really difficult to continue to exact my vision there. In fact, yeah. at that point in time, across the street was had built a very large building that housed a very conservative political group. I'll not name it at this point in time. But one day, a check arrived on my door from the president of that organization that just said, 
I see those kids coming in and out every day and you need to use this for your purposes. And the church made me turn it around and give it back because they didn't approve of him. And those kinds of things just hurt my heart because these kids, I opened the doors and we had 120 kids within six days. And I was just like, Georgetown Law was sending volunteers. We were just doing everything we could because I had to raise all the money to do everything. And as it turned out, in the end, we had about a half million dollar budget. And what I learned from that experience is that where passion is, money will follow. So I'm never worried about getting the money that I need if you're bringing the passion to the project. But when you talked about knowing when to leave, that was probably one of the hardest decisions I ever made because we were successful. I was living in my like purpose. I mean, we had won tons of awards in DC and recognized in the Washington Post for all that we were doing, but I couldn't keep fighting that battle. Yes. Yeah. And good things happened because when I stepped down, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. And I realized that having a two-year-old in the backseat of a car with gunshots outside the car was probably not where I needed to be. And so the pastor who gave me that opportunity actually stepped down from the pastorate, started a separate nonprofit and took it all over to a different place. So it's all good now. That is a separate nonprofit in DC, but that was so hard to walk away from something that I love. I know that's going to resonate with a lot of people. I have a dear friend that yesterday called me and is stepping away from something that they did not want to, but through things that orchestrate and just that there are times, Paget, when we do, like you said, if if there's so much of a fight, we have to look at it. And I can't control the final outcome because you didn't own the property, but you, all I can control is the processes, the vision, what I am stewarding and everything else is in God's hand. And he already knew that church was going to do that to you at that date. And he already had a plan for what's next. So we just have to remember that as leaders, but it is gut-wrenching but understand it's going to happen once, twice. It's going to happen throughout your life. I think the more it happens, you realize, okay, not what I was hoping for, but I know this is going to come back to me in a different form and in a more powerful way. And as a leader, you just get more comfortable with that. But I can't imagine at that young age having that. But it's good to see too, the nasty politics of infighting amongst we're all supposed to be in this together and when people call me just broken heart i'm like when did you ever think that people weren't self-oriented and selfish and mean what's part of our nature it's also good as a young leader to know that you can be very balanced about the reality of humanity and what's out there and be prepared as a leader to have your heart broken but that's okay because god heals our heart and the vision takes us forward yeah and like you said i think what i had to learn also from that situation and from so many others is that I'm only responsible to show up and be responsible for what I'm called to do. Absolutely. And the results are in God's hands. Yeah, I can't sit there and ask, why did this church leader, people say, why did my husband do this? Or why did my boss? No, that's between them and God. All you can do is the best that you can do and keep moving forward. But uh, that's real. Oh my gosh. Thank you for unpacking that. That's again, you felt like you were in your home and then the season of loneliness comes again. So you just don't know. And that's what my friend yesterday that called me and said, hey, he got and now he's and now I'm in a season of loneliness again where I have to go out and find and I'm like, ah, but for the leaders out there it happens and this is pageant yeah. and me telling you keep the faith because something keep unbelievable. The faith Let me and I think if this I think this is relevant, Tracy, but yes. I walked away from that, stayed in touch with a lot of kids, if you will. They were teenagers going in and I still have relationships with a lot of the the people that I worked with who were younger people at that point in time. I always have taught my mission teams that I've trained and I teach a poverty simulation course, helping people understand cycles of poverty, urban issues, and just really being aware that we're just not that different, that we're all very similar in our experiences. And so if I could just share, sometimes you'll get to know what you did and what you meant and what that time you went through was worth later. It was a few years ago. And part of my job at this place, I feel as a leader, my job is to be like one of the defensive linebackers where I'm giving people behind me the opportunity to live their passion as well. I feel like I do that with my staff and be balanced, but I did that with several people in DC where there were young people who were coming a little younger than I was and saying, I have this passion and this is what I want to do. And I want to start this program where I want to do this or I want to do that. One of those was a young gentleman from Howard University, and he was supposed to become a lawyer. His mother, I think, is a judge, and his father's an attorney. And that was his purpose was to become a lawyer. And 
he came to work in a volunteer capacity from us, but had a real passion for the arts and for kids in the community. And so he ended up wanting to start the first Christian go band club in DC. And I don't know if you know what go is, but it was like a thing that's DC related when I was, which would be crazy if DC because it is dangerous and you don't want to ignite things, but you also want to give people the opportunity to see how to enjoy that kind of music that they enjoy, maybe in a more safe, wholesome environment. I acted like a linebacker and pushed away. I went to a lot of other African-American churches and said, do you want to partner with us on this? And they're like, we don't want anything to do with it, whatever. So we started this, crazy as it might be. We There was a young Christian go-go band that wanted to play. We had a lot of Howard University students came and they led line dances and things. So everything was really clean and, and fun. But every night after 120 kids would leave on a Saturday night, I would just breathe the sigh of relief that we had no issues, no problems, but it was challenging. And I, I could have walked away from that whole thing and said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It's too risky. And but maybe that would have been the wiser thing to do, but I didn't. We had it. It was successful. And as it turned out, all the African-American churches started sending people. We were growing and people were loving what we were doing. And we did it like once a month. Ended all of that. This gentleman turned out to marry one of the other girls that worked for us. He became a pastor. And so a few years ago, he received his own church in Woodbridge, Virginia. And I showed up to just celebrate with him his opening Sunday. And when he wasn't expecting me, I just, and I saw his wife in the lobby and she took me into where they were praying in a circle in the sanctuary. And I walked in and he just, he embraced me and he just said to me, she's the reason that I'm here. And oh my gosh, it was just so honoring. But what was bigger was he reached across the, to a very large African-American gentleman across the circle and said, if she's the reason you're here. And that gentleman came over to me and gave me the biggest bear hug. And I still don't know where he, who he is. And I'm in shock. And he says to me, I was that young drummer in that girl band that no one else would let play but you. You gave me that opportunity and I'm being ordained as a pastor today in this church. That was just so amazing that God would orchestrate. I know this isn't supposed to be a, a, a spiritual conversation. I'm sorry if I'm, uh, I'm not meaning to make it alone. <laughs> I'm sorry. But for me, that was like so affirming to just again heal that wound of needing to walk away from something I felt yeah. so powerful about and to know those seeds continued. And so I just would encourage anyone who is feeling in that place where, why did I have to leave this? And what is next? And will what I did matter? That I've had multiple opportunities. I had a child reach out literally two weeks ago, who's now got a crisis in his life where his wife died unexpectedly. And this was a 17-year-old who I felt was probably one of my first children before I had. Those seeds were sown. Trust that what you did was the right thing and you're not responsible for the end game. So yeah, two people. And you said not supposed to be spiritual. In case you haven't listened to these podcasts, Charles, my dad always told me, Tracy, 90% of growth is spiritual growth. You don't walk in your foundation, your spiritual foundation. Forget it. You can build everything else up, but your values, your convictions, your core, what you're living for, none of it matters. So I'm really glad you went to because our audience knows exactly what knows exactly the importance of that. So now we talk. So the other 10% is probably the physical realm. And I want to move on to the next one, weariness. And my father would always say, like you said, you, you, you get home, you're tired. There's people that should be doing what they're doing. They're not, you're picking up. And uh, as somebody who dealt with a chronic hormone imbalance where my adrenal gland was shot for about three years, and I mm -hmm. thought I was in, I thought I was depressed. And I know that we still are uh, our bodies are going back to dust. Yes, our spirits are eternal, but we still have to maintain this mortal coil. So can you talk to us about weariness, especially with the work you're doing right now? No matter how much you pray and all that stuff, we have to be, we have to finish the race strong physically too. So yes, unpack that for us, Paget. Absolutely. And, and not to change from the spiritual, but God has given us this body that work so well together. And he never intended for us to run like we do. The Sabbath is not implemented where we're giving our bodies permission and our minds permission to rest. So when I stepped away from the, the organization that I work for in DC, moved back to central Pennsylvania, and my husband and I adopted our middle daughter from foster care. And something I knew we were very passionate about, we had two children, two biological children, and adopted the middle one. And I really thought, I work with kids with guns and knives and fights and I got, I can, I got this. Nobody got, I got this. Right. And 
boy, she took me down. And she was seven at the time. And I just didn't understand all of her special needs as we got into it and grew. And she really took me to a place where physically, mentally, spiritually, the whole thing, I didn't even recognize myself anymore. Mm. And I was about 11 years ago. I just was like, I don't know who this person is. I was not sleeping. I was depressed. I was overweight. I was all the things. And I go to my doctor and say, what's wrong? And my doctor, oh, that's just part of getting older. You just need to relax, whatever. Which maybe part of that was true, the relaxing part, but not explaining it to me in the way that really resonated. I was like, how am I going to relax? I have three kids, two dogs. Like, I can't relax. And I was getting up at 4 a.m. at the gym to try to do this, to try to do all the things. I was trying to do all the things. And I just felt terrible by myself. I felt like a failure in this realm of my world. What is wrong with me? And so I finally learned about this place called Be Balanced in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And somebody told me about it. I didn't even make an appointment. I just showed up. I was like, I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. I just need help. And when I was in DC, I always said what we did in DC was offer hope. And hope came in so many different packages, education, recreation, spiritual development, community resources, all the things. And now at Be Balanced, I realized what we do at Be Balanced is offer hope. And there's so many women that come in a very vulnerable state like I was that don't understand that the most kind and loving thing they can do for everyone in their world, their family, their kids, who works for them or with them, is to take care of them. And so many of us view that as selfish or, oh, I shouldn't do that, or that I have a badge of honor because I've just given everything that I have to everyone else. I love that, but you're going to run out. You are a vessel that is not never-ending. It's not infinite. And so what I want to tell women is, be balanced changed my life. I lost 60 pounds in three months. And, and that was not magic. That is by getting my body up and functioning. I have an amazing team. I have six centers of Be Balanced now. And I could not do what I do without building a team of women and empowering them and giving them the resources to do what they do. Be Balanced is about giving your body, that team, God has given us a team of hormones that help with weight management, sleep, energy, depression, anxiety, managing stress, libido, all the things. Hunger. I'm hungry, I'm full. Those are all hormones. And, and so we have a team inside of us. And if we are not resourcing that team intentionally, we're not helping that team with what they need to, to be able to do their job, we're failing. I think a lot of women follow, oh, traditional, I'm just going to work out harder. I'm going to eat less. That is not learning how to resource your body. This is a whole different podcast about all of that. But so for me, I learned all of that. And a funny story is that I learned how to take care of me differently, which, you know what? I say to mothers and sons, I'll say mothers of daughters and mothers of sons, me learning to take care of me differently also gave my daughter permission when she gets, when she's 25 now, but gives my daughter permission to draw boundaries around herself and to realize that giving 100% of herself away to everyone around her probably is not a fair ask. And I feel like when we step back and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and put this around myself for now, which is what I really encourage our women to do in different capacities. It's okay. Everyone will still be supported. Everyone is still loved. But by saying, hey, listen, I'm going to make this healthy meal tonight. If you're not happy with what I'm making, I'm not making five meals. This is healthy. This is going to sustain your body. Peanut butter and jelly over there if you need it. And just really help them to draw lines around themselves. Or listen, I need 20 minutes of relaxation. I'm going to be headed to the room. When I come back, I will help with homework. I will do all of that. But right now it's my time. And, and we are always the ones that get put to the side while the other emergencies are much more important. We are going to be an emergency soon if we don't deal with it. And I was. And I was an emergency that was unable to, to really deal with all that I had going on. So Be Balanced was such something that really empowered me. It also changed how my family eats. My son is an athlete. My son has always been an athlete. I learned through Be Balanced how to source an athlete, how to give him healthy foods. My son actually has cooked his own food since he was in 10th grade. He's a senior at the Naval Academy right now. And I know your husband is from the Naval Academy, so we have that. And But he's learned how to take care of his body as an athlete. He's played lacrosse at the high national level with Under Armour and, and at the Naval Academy. And Be Balanced taught me things I didn't know about nutrition and about how to really source your body effectively with good supplementation and good minerals and vitamins because we have to be intentional. God's given us all that and he's made our bodies to need it and receive it. So being intentional about this, and I'm just going to say gummies are not being intentional. It drives me nuts when women tell me they're taking a gummy vitamin. I'm like, oh my God, you're a big girl now. 
like your big girl now. So that's a whole other conversation as well. But you know, how I got to be balanced though is be balanced changed my life, but there was only one be balanced in the country. So at that time, my dad and my brother and I had worked in a business together. My dad and brother and I owned, I didn't own it. Sorry, my dad and brother owned it. And it was about building log cabins all over the world, which is something on a whole nother story that I learned a lot of leadership from. I had to work in an all man's world. I was the only woman that designed and learned from going from working at a nonprofit in DC to learning how to manage building codes and snow loads and wind loads and our values, all of that was a whole change for me. But I was working in that business with my family when I came back to central Pennsylvania. And at that time was 2010, where the housing bubble crumbled, we lost the business. And so we knew a business broker in Lancaster who was helping to franchise Be Balanced. And I did this program and I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I didn't tell my family because I'm like, can it work? Can I do it? I didn't know. And at the same time that I was doing Be Balanced, this business broker went to my brother and my father, who he knew, and said, there's this new thing that they're franchising. And I think that you should buy it and Paget should run it. And so talk about Providence. I told my parents I lost 20 five pounds the first month. And they were like, wait, isn't this the thing that we were introduced to? So it all came together. Anyways, long story short, we opened the first Be Balanced location. And again, now I have six, but my leadership at Be Balanced has changed from starting working with clients and empowering individual clients and women to now empowering my team to do what they love. So I think I probably got off course as to what your question was. And I apologize for that, but I think your question was weariness. And the, the weariness was real, was very real. And I found ways to support. I can't change the stress that's coming at me. None of us can. But what I can do is be intentional about fortifying my mind and my body, my adrenals to manage it. And so understanding that's a real thing that you can't expect water out of a stone. You have to really infuse what your body needs to be able to give it that level. So many people say to me, oh my God, how do you run you know, a company that has seven Airbnbs and six be balanced and have kids and do all these things and you must never sleep? I sleep really well because mm-hmm. I created a team internally that's doing what I need behind the scenes. So I love that. Well, that reminds me of that Lena Horne quote. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. And mm. so I just, we all have this, the one Facebook meme is we all have the same 24 hours a day as Beyonce. How does she do it? Because she has a team, and I love that you said resource your body. And you hit on the very wonderful point about leadership as you're growing a business. It's no longer about you working in the business, in the details, but now you're working on your team. Because that's where entrepreneurs get so burnt out. I'm still doing everything, but you're not supposed to. Even if you're in working at Walmart and you're a manager, you're no longer supposed to be doing the day-to-day stuff. You're supposed to be developing the people underneath you. So that's awesome that you did that because otherwise you will, like once again, I don't care how healthy you are or how well you're eating, you'll still burn out because we're still limited physically in what we can take on. And if I don't give them that opportunity, I love that they feel good about what they're doing, that they feel empowered, that they feel success. That's what brings me joy now. And if I micromanage them and don't really allow them to live into their spirit, it's it's not benefiting me in any way, shape, or form. That's not a, and that's not leadership. And especially as an entrepreneur, you need people in line with the vision. So I love that. Okay, so now let's talk about abandonment because and my abandonment. We're animal lovers. Abandonment has a very negative connotation. Fear of abandonment as women, and that's a bad thing. But my dad would always tell me, because I'm like, Dad, how'd you get so successful? And he's, I have no idea. I do more in a day to contribute to my failure than my success. And I'm like, and he explained to me abandonment and how abandonment is really stop doing what you like and want to do in favor of what you ought and need to do. So it's being very focused on mm-hmm. what is going to get you forward, whether it's the people in your life or habits, or even what you're watching on TV in your spare time, what you're putting in your mind. Paget, with everything you have going on, how do you stay really tightly bounded or focused so you can really pour your energies where they need to be? That's a really good question. I, When you ask that, I have to think about it because I feel like I've gotten pretty proficient at just naturally being able to sift through priorities yes. and what matters. And in fact, it was so funny because I actually just had this conversation with a staff person last week who is younger and was really asking for her. I think one of the things that that holds a lot of uh, mental energy is worry. 
what about this? What about that? What about what what are we going to do with this? And I think in my mind, I always, the way I deal with it is always have, I always have a plan B, C, and D in, in, in whatever could potentially happen. But I really said to her, I think I have learned, for example, with worry, not to allow that to hold any enter- energy in me and abandoning worry. Because if I know that I can deal with the worst case scenario in any particular situation that I'm thinking about, then I take it off the table and not give any mental energy to it. Because I'm like, if that happens, anything from here to the worst case scenario, I got it. Mm-hmm. So I think I've gotten good at being able to weed through, but I've also been able to give myself permission. We talk about what's on TV. Sometimes I think my husband says, I can't believe you watch this. This is mindless. And sometimes, you know what? I give myself permission to watch mindless things too. And because so many times I feel this, oh, I should be listening to this podcast. I watch I should be reading this book. And sometimes I have to give myself permission to abandon productivity for a minute and really just say, you know what? Just enjoy this for a minute. And something else that I just came to me, and I think this happens with, that is relevant. I have a lot of guilt sometimes when I feel like I should be working harder, should be working harder. For example, I took two weeks. I love going to Colombia. My brother lives in Colombia and we spend a lot of time in South America, Colombia. And I was down there for two weeks um, in the summer. And, and one day I said to my brother, God, I feel really guilty. I should be going back to work. And he said to me, it's the most ridiculous thing because you are feeling guilty for creating the life you wanted and living the life you created. And why? So I've also abandoned guilt and that too. So I think getting older and abandoning some of these things and not apologizing for them, I don't know if I exactly hit on your question, but yeah, yeah, like that was for me, that became so important. Why am I feeling guilty about this? Everything is fine. Everyone is doing what they need to do and I'm living the life I created. And so it was a real awakening for me. I love that. And I love that you brought up guilt because somebody called me on something once and they said that. Then guilt, Tracy, they said, uh, guilt is a self-imposed emotion. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, it's up to me to stop putting that on myself. Guilt, shame, anger, all that. The fruits of the spirit are God given, but all the bad stuff, that's self-imposed. Frustration, anger. I opt out of it. And I'm so glad you said that fear, anxiety. We do just say, and remember, it all starts in the mind. This is where everything programs, this beautiful thing that God gave us. And we have the mind of Christ. And then it goes to your emotions and then to your hands and your behaviors and your habits. But I love that you you said that because that's where everything begins and starts. And you just tell your mind, no, I'm going to mute that. And it always Mm -hmm. pops in, but just like temptation, we're all going to be tempted. But I was reading this book, The Potential Principle by Edwin Lewis Cole. That's one of my favorite books. It's an old timey book. And he says, the only two ways devils, the devil can attack children, brothers and sisters in Christ is temptation and accusation. Okay. If you can't, you've got, got to be on guard for where, temptation and flee from that. But accusation, just that, shouldn't I be doing, shouldn't you be doing this as nope. And I'm going to, I'm going to mute that. And I really, that's that negative self-talk, that stake and thinking. And boy, we really do it to ourselves way more than the world. Everybody's like, oh, the world's so awful. And I'm like, yeah, what's more awful? Exactly. And when we talk about women that I'm working with now, when we talk about hormone balance, we're doing life coaching, health coaching through this process. And I really felt one day I was so frustrated after meeting with multiple women and I did a video and I put it out there and I felt so many of us say the things to ourselves that we would not say to a stranger on the street. Right. And telling ourselves, oh, I just, I never succeeded that. I can never do that. Or, oh, I'm not good enough at that. Or I... I just can't take it. And I need women to start shifting that. Maybe I can't do it now, but I haven't learned it yet. We're still always in process, but I just, I was so sad one day, just feeling like so many of us just talk to ourselves, like we wouldn't talk to our worst enemy. And it's sad. Yeah. Or we deny the blessing. Somebody will come from a doctor and they'll be like, hey, the test came back good. And then they'll say to me, yeah, but I still might have this. And I'm like, you just killed the blessing. Stop. You just got good words. And when you, this, the subconscious, this is the most powerful conscious is what do they say. Maybe 5% subconscious is not. Don't speak that stuff. Abandon that nonsense. It does not. What does the Bible say? Not one iota of worry can add one hour to your life. Stop it. We're post COVID. Didn't we learn how deadly? What was more horrible than COVID? That negative, depressive fear and anxiety. 
which kills more than anything else in the world. So just sorry. There we go. <laughs> yeah, we need. That's the biggest thing we absolutely need to abandon. So yeah, no, th- thank you for that, Padgett. Okay, loneliness, weariness, abandonment. And then, boy, you really have unpacked this already. Well, on vision, and I know vision is so important to you, and you are so good at it. And uh, just share with us how do you craft, how do you own your vision? Because I think a lot of people listening, are like, I'm passionate about stuff, but passion is different than vision. So, can you explain mm. what vision means to you? And I thank you because I would be sometimes I would say I'm not very good at that, but I'm saying it anyway. I don't know that this is a conventional answer. One thing I think I'm really good at is not being intimidated by people that are better than me and just surrounding myself with an amazing team of women who have a similar passion, which helps us create a great vision. And I think that I see too many women feel threatened by their staff. What if she, oh, if he's, I need to keep her down here. Oh God, no, my, I'll tell my clients, like, you're lucky if you get to work with them. They're so much better than I am. And so I think my vision comes from inspiration from my team with their ideas and all of it comes together like a puzzle to create the vision. I don't think that I'm the only one. I don't have the only vision. I'm surrounding myself with amazing women who have passion and words and ideas and resources. And that's how the vision grows. And and so I think maybe I'm not that good at vision, but I'm really good at surrounding myself with great people and resourcing them to a shared purpose. You hit that. You hit the nail. Leadership, a vision is shared. If it's not shared, it's just your individual dream. That you always, leadership is all about everybody looking through that same lens. And so you really say, because I think sometimes it's leader, you pick the vision and then everybody else gets to see it. And your approach is the real approach. No, you put that beacon out and vibe with your tribe of who coalesces around that. Because I can't put the vision in anybody. You already have your own vision, your own passion, your own intrinsic gifting from what your own skill set, how you grew up like you with the things that happened to you when you were younger. But if you just radiate that beacon, enough of the right people. So that was really discerning unpacking of vision. Padgett, thank you. Thank you. All right. Wow. Okay, so we did loneliness, we did weariness, abandonment, and vision. Anything else that we haven't hit on that you would like to share with our tremendous leaders out there that are living the life and fighting the battles and enjoying the triumphs and the heartaches too? Yeah, I was trying to look back. I made a few notes that I wanted to make sure. I think one thing that I've recognized recently is I am such a believer in servant leadership. I didn't, when I was in DC, I would be down cooking meals and do cleaning things and doing whatever my staff was doing so that they could see that I'm not asking them to do anything I'm not willing to do. And I completely feel that way. Now that I've grown a little bit in in a different capacity, I don't always have that ability to, I, I am in the trenches actually this week, I'm taking appointments and there are certain times where I am taking client appointments if we're short staffed. And that's always good for me to stay in the know to understand what the staff's going through so that when I give feedback, they know that it's from a place of, I've been there, done that. And that's really helpful. The other day I was in one of the centers and I I gave two client appointments and came out with success on both of them. And I was like, see what's so hard? They just laughed at me, (laughs) just joking with them. But so I think that it's important though, that I've had to move from servant leadership and being in the trenches with everyone to now empowering those to do it. And so there's a book, I think it's CEOs are stupid, where we as CEOs have to learn how to know enough to be dangerous, but not take on every minute detail of what our staff is doing. So I have great staff who know how to do what they need to do. If I needed to do it, I would figure it out. I'd probably be slower than them because I'm not doing it every day. And it was so funny to one of my staff last week, we were having a, a leadership conference and she said to me, is that why you always ask me to do that? And I ask you to do it because number one, you could probably do it faster than I am. Probably I'm trans traveling between centers and you're in front of a computer. But also I don't have to know how to do everything because you all know how to do everything. And so I think too many leaders that I see, like they use up, I feel like too much mental capacity, knowing the details of everything. I know who to call for when I need certain things. And I have watched and learned which of my staff are really good at certain things and thrive in them. 
And then I ask them to do those things. I'm trying to be intentional in my team. And I share my team between Dallas and Pennsylvania. And sometimes Pennsylvania team is doing things for Dallas and we just work as one organization. But I know somebody really loves making graphics and designs where someone else can do it, but is drained by it. So that's where I'm going. I feel like my leadership has evolved. And I'm old enough now to say that because I feel like I'm just recognizing how old I am and, you know, as my staff is getting younger and younger, but that I don't have to be in the trenches every day anymore. I just have to know that I've got great people around me who know how to pull it off when needed. And I think they feel good about that. And I praise them and I catch them doing great things all the time. Even when I'm in Dallas, people say, how do you manage a Dallas team from Pennsylvania? Because when I see that they've done something good, because I'm always like, they always say, you're always watching. I don't know how you always see, but I always catch them doing great things and tell them right away that I saw it. And I think that's how I make them feel like I'm not forever away because I care about what's happening to them, whether I'm on site or not. So my job is to make their job easier. And we have this saying amongst our teams that we have a team that has to be willing to tell me something I don't want to know. They have to be willing to tell me something I don't want to know, and they have to be willing to receive something they don't want to know. So a lot of times after we finish meetings or conversations, will tell me something I don't want to know. And if I as a leader have to be willing and able to hear that, and they as my team have to be willing to receive it. That is powerful stuff. Yeah. People that are really going to call you on. Yeah. Yeah. What what was Brene Brown says that unclear is unkind, clear is kind. And I think we, we dance around stuff. So that's Oh, I love that pageant. And I love that you talked about the the evolution from servant leadership as you get older, because you do realize, yes, it's about being in the trenches, but then it's not, we are beyond that. Not that we're better than that, but we are beyond that. There's other people now that have to be at that level of servant leadership. We have to be up at this. And that's part of the evolution of leader and bringing your team up because they should be able to step into your shoes so you can go up to this transformative or transformational leadership, which is the next level up from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Paget, what what is the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? Because I know yeah. they're going to want to get in touch with you. Oh God, I would, I would love that. So bebalancecenters.com is our website. I have multiple locations, uh, Harrisburg, Camp Hill, York. And if you're in Dallas, Frisco and McKinney are good places to go as well. I think my information will be there. It's just paget.re at bebalancecenters.com. But I'd love to hear from anyone. I always love to hear what people are doing, successes, challenges, and celebrate with them. I love that. And speaking of vision, are there going to be more than six Be Balanced <laughs> on 2024 and 2025? Are there always those potentials? We're absolutely looking at. We want to, for me, it's about giving women the opportunity to change their life and support the, their quality of life moving forward as they age. I'm 56 now. I did this when I was 45 and I went through early menopause because of the stress, all the things. There's so many women who don't even know that these things are possible to be addressed naturally and just strategy wise. So for me, it's about getting the word out there and we do it virtually or in person. So you don't even have to be by one of our centers, but helping you understand how to support your body. And sometimes it's mental shifts and sometimes it's physical strategies, but it's not rocket science. And it gets so exciting for me to see women. I've come Machu Picchu in the last 10 years. I've hiked down the bike with my athletic son down Killington. We've done lots of fun things and I am so blessed. I wouldn't ever done those things without Be Balanced. So I do want women to check it out and understand that there are resources and maybe even empowering them that when their doctor says, you need this another blood pressure medication, or you need this, or you need that, maybe asking the question, what could I be doing that would eliminate the need for that? Because the more medications we're on, the more our liver is needing support. And I don't think until I got to be balanced, I didn't really think about all of these things and how it was impacting my body. We work with a lot of gut health because stress is impacting a lot of gut health. And then forget about the shots. People don't understand these weight loss shots. And we are a weight loss program, but it's really about getting your body up and functioning so it can act like it needs to. With these shots, you're taking over your body's function so that when you stop doing it, your body doesn't know how to do it anymore on its own. So we're seeing more problems now with people and gut health. That's not the But for us, we're very passionate about helping women. And we see women that lives are completely changed. Look at our reviews. People are saying, this is, and everybody's taking different things away. I had an army vet 
with PTSD the other day. And when she came to us, the depression and her body just so depleted. And she just got back from a trip to Hawaii, came in the other day and just glowing. And she says, I attribute this to changing my life. And so I can't even talk about how much it means to me. This is so much more than vitamins and weight loss. It is life-changing. So thank you for the opportunity. Sorry, I could go on. I won't. And somebody who who reclaimed theirs at 55, five Mm -hmm. years ago, I am stronger and literally stronger, more active, more clear in my thinking. So ladies, are gentlemen welcome too? Oh, gosh, absolutely. Because they have hormones as well. Stress, insulin. I love to see that we have good problems in that you're probably going to have to go off with some of the medications you're on. Your body is going to reclaim its ability. Yeah. Thyroid function. People that had hysterectomies, do you know how many times I say to them, do you know why you had the hysterectomy? No, no one ever explained this to me. This was a hormone imbalance you've been dealing with for years that could have been addressed naturally, but instead you've gone through this huge that now has created more issues and and we can't change that it happened. But when I give them that aha moment and walk them through their story and they're like feeling, I wish I would have known that and I need to be more informed. And that's where we just get really excited about women feeling empowered. Like I said, there's no amount of money in the world. The greatest wealth is health and your Mm -hmm. spiritual health too, but your physical health and and the body is an amazing, I'm very pro-medicine once you do the hard work to get your body in check. Mm-hmm. Then it's the only thing else you need. But like for me, with that three years of depression I went through and, and just mm-hmm. horrible sadness and gained 50 pounds. And I thought, and they're like, yeah, you're just getting older. This And I'm like, oh, no, no. I see women in their 70s that look hot and are on fire. And don't tell me this is just part of life. And then I was like, nope. And well, yeah, and amazing. Funny, yeah. A lot of our clients are doctors and nurses. Because they need to be representing most of all. The physician should be the one really identifying God made our bodies just to be the most unbelievable things. If it, now if there's something beyond that, something genetic or that triggers. Absolutely. Yes. I'm not against Western medicine. That is not no. what I'm saying. No, 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 no. There are a lot of ways that we could strategically and naturally support some of those functions yes. as needed. Those things have to be done too. And yeah. we were resourced with those options as well. But yeah, I'm very interested in helping women at least the low-hanging fruit. Love it. I love it. All right. Thank you again, Paget. I just, uh, just what an absolutely beautiful, heartfelt, and really just top shelf discussion on leadership. I learned yeah. so much from you. You're such an inspiration and such a wealth of information. And I'm just truly blessed to be able to know you. And thank you for sharing with our listeners. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. To our listeners out there, where would we be without our listeners? We would just be talking and nobody would be listening. So to our tremendous tribe out there, thank you so much. If you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button. Do us the favor of a five-star review. That really helps a lot when other people are looking for tips to pay the price of leadership and live a tremendous life. Please or share, comment, reach out to Paget, and keep on paying the price of leadership. Thank you so much, everyone. You have a tremendous rest of the day. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.